0: Absolute uh, pleasure to be here today, and um, just to be able to be here and share the word with you is uh, an absolute blessing. And um, if you don't know, this is my beautiful wife uh, Cassie right here, and uh, she's my Holy Spirit number two, um, uh, right there with me all the way. And um, as Seth mentioned, uh, we're starting a new series today called "After His Heart," and um, so excited and honored to be able to open this series. And one of the things that we're doing in this series is if you didn't get your bookmark coming in, make sure that you get your bookmark coming out because it's 24 chapters in 24 days because in 2024, we are after his heart. Amen? So I just want to make sure that you get that bookmark. See, here at the Heart of the City, once a year, we share vision. And the reason we share vision is because it builds unity. And Psalm 133 says it's good to dwell in unity. And so when somebody walks in and they say to you, hey, what's Heart of the City Church all about? We want each and every one of us to be able to share that vision with other people. You see, sharing vision creates not only unity, but we have all of these different things going on from young adults to youth to kids downstairs right now. Small groups, women's ministry, men's all of the ministries going on. And when we are, share vision together, we get to dwell in unity. That's right. Good word, Jason. So here at Heart of the City Church, we are a church after God's own heart. You've probably heard that. And that's our mission, but we can't just say it. Right. Do it. We have to do it. We have to live it. We have to pursue it. Yeah. See, and I'm thankful to be at a church that even though we're sitting in these walls right here, yeah. this is not our focus. That's right. That's right. Our focus has to be outside these four walls to truly live out our mission. That's, it. That's, it. That's our focus. That's our lens. That is our vision. Wow. So I challenge each of us, including myself, with a question as I start is, how many people have you helped to know God this week, this month, this year? Because it's a question we have to ask ourselves over and over again to keep our focus outside, not inward. And so today, as our vision comes together, We know God, but we help others to know God. We find freedom, and we help others to find freedom. We discover purpose, and we help others discover purpose, and we make a difference. And yep, you guessed it, we get to help others make a difference too. Now today, I actually get to share vision on knowing God. Today, that is the pursuit after His heart. And you know the best way to know God is right here, to be in His Word daily. Because when we're in His Word, we get to hear from Him, and we get to form an intimate relationship with the Father. And when we have an intimate relationship with the Father, all other relationships come into alignment. But see, there's more for each and every one of us. Our challenge isn't just for us to know God, but to help others know God too. See, in fact, you might even be in this room today, and maybe you don't know that you know that you know God. Or maybe you came today, and you used to walk in right relationship with Him, but you've walked away. Well, I have good news for you today. When I get done with this sermon, I'm going to give each one of us the opportunity to come in right relationship with the Father. So here's the truth, if, if we want to pursue his heart, we must dive into his Word. so let's go. I'm going to be reading out of John 14, 1 through 7, should be on the screen, you can also find it on the app or in your Bibles. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Chapter 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus' response in chapter 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. (laughs) The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth, your word, your instruction. The word that calms a troubled heart. Lord, I thank you for the assignment that you've placed on my heart today. And I would just ask that each word that would come from my mouth come directly from the Holy Spirit. That any word that I would say today would glorify you in heaven. We just lift up this time to you, your presence in Jesus' name. and we all say? Amen. So there's many things that help us to know God. I already mentioned my favorite being in his word, but these are my must-dos. I must spend time in his word. I must spend time in prayer. I must stay connected to the Holy Spirit. I must share the gospel, and I must be committed to church. And by the way, my friends, that's not this building. Each and every one of us are the church. (laughs) So knowing God... So for me, it started actually in a Catholic church. I grew up uh, with my family attending Catholic church, and uh, if you don't know me, I happen to have a lot of energy. And so growing up in a Catholic church and having a lot of energy, they don't really go together very well. But I had a grandpa, and he would just keep one hand over my shoulder, and if I couldn't sit still, he'd give me one of those love taps on the back of the head. I just want you to let you know that I got a lot of love growing up. So so now I hit high school, and a friend of mine says, Hey, Jason, you should go with me to youth night. I go to an Assembly of God church, and I thought, why not? That can't be much different than Sunday Mass. So I went, and uh, now I want to tell you, I grew up in the 80s. And that was when um, being slain in the spirit was cool. So when the youth pastor said, somebody's going to die tonight, and I see people laying on the ground, I'm like, that's obvious. (laughs) Then the youth pastor says, we're going to jump up and down, and we're going to shout, and we're going to praise God. And I'm like, finally, I get to move in church. (laughs) And then he said, and we're going to wash you with the blood of Jesus. And I said, I'm out of here. I don't do blood. I don't even like needles. But it was that night, it was that night that I was born again. It was that night that I met Jesus face to face and I met God in a real and powerful way. And my friends, my life was changed forever. But it wasn't that night that I came to know God. It was the next 39 years walking with him, doing the work, being in his word, is when I really developed that relationship and that trusty. We must put in the work. Now, this work, you can call it what you want spiritual habits, spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines. We call them many things. And the truth is, I think most of us in this room. Know what those are. I would even venture to say that most of us in this room, we want to live a spiritual life. We want to know God. So what is it? What is it that stops our persistent pursuit of knowing the Father? I believe there are four major barriers that are getting in our way of knowing God. Distraction. Busyness, procrastination, and our inability to rest in Him. See, in many ways, these may be separate, but in many ways, they're also connected. And until we commit to the relentless removal of these things from our lives, we're going to struggle with that relationship. This morning, I had one of the greatest mornings. I woke up at 4 a.m., and I was just alert and awake, and I was excited to spend time with the Lord. See, my wife and I, we have this new habit where we start waking up at 4 a.m., and we can't get back to sleep. And so I'm just alert and excited, and most of you are like, what is wrong with this guy? Don't worry, my wife has the same reaction, okay? So here I am, and I'm just awake, and I'm in the presence of God, and, and I'm praying, and, and all of a sudden, he's just reminding me of all the miracles in my life, and my wife, and my family, and my salvation, and my kids, and, and I'm just in awe of his presence and what he's doing, and I'm just there, and I'm just thanking him, and you ever had that moment, and just, just that time with him, just in his presence? We had it last night at Freedom Night. We were just soaking in His presence and nobody was even moving. Maybe you've never had that and that's okay because there's good news. You can start that today. It doesn't take anything special to get into His presence except for seeking Him. See, every morning my wife and I, we have this routine and I love it. Before we even think about getting out of bed, we pray. sometimes we're just crying out to him, and sometimes we're thanking him. And then we get into the word, and we spend time in the word. And before we go to bed every night, we pray, and we read a chapter together. See, we spend time with the Father. And listen, I'm I'm not here to tell you that we have it down because we don't, but we practice it. We just practice spending time in his presence. See, when we first come to know Jesus, we hear it's about relationship, not rules, right? And then we start getting to his word and and we hear these lessons and we hear these preachers and then pretty soon we hear the do's and the don'ts and we have to do this and we have to do that and then we're like, just don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with the do's and the don'ts. But then do we get focused on the do's and the don'ts? And then do they distract us from knowing God? But then, the more time we spend in His Word, we realize that the do's and the don'ts are actually about relationship, not restriction. See, this book right here, from cover to cover, is about knowing God. And we can just stop, and we can say, God, I just want to stay right here with you right now. Yet distraction enters the room. And our first barrier shows up to knowing God. See, we can, we can track distraction all the way back to Genesis Imagine for just a minute if you were Adam or Eve, and you're standing there, and the person in front of you says, I created you. I breathed life into you. And you look up, and you realize that the creator of the world is standing in front of you, and you get to walk with him, and you get to spend time with him, and you get to be in his presence Yet they still allowed distraction to interfere with the presence of God. See, the first sin comes from distraction. It comes from not knowing God and His commands for our life. And it comes from believing the serpent's words over God's words, over the one that created you. Genesis 3, 6b says... She took of his fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. It isn't about eating. It's about allowing distraction to come to in between you and the relationship with the Father. Knowing God means that we don't allow distraction, and we don't allow the enemy to come in between the Father and our relationship. And we don't believe the enemy's words over God's words. Because in our scripture that I read today. John 14.1b says believe in God. Also believe in me. See not eating from the tree of good and evil. Was a restriction. And there is a reason for restriction. If my two-year-old granddaughter, Nova, is playing in the kitchen and she reaches up for the counter and there's a knife on there and she's about to grab it, you better believe I'm going to set a restriction. No, we don't touch knives. We don't play with knives. And I'm setting a restriction because I have relationship with her, because I love her, and that's where our restrictions come, from our Heavenly Father. Because God's commands are not about restrictions They're given to protect us, to enhance our lives, and to make our lives more fruitful and more meaningful relationship with the Father. And we can no longer allow distraction from the enemy or from this world to cause us to not believe God's words. Did God actually say that you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God actually say you're chosen? Yes, he did. Did God actually say that you are loved? Yes, he did. Did God actually say that this is a house of mercy? Yes, he did. And did God actually say that the kids would pray and lay hands on the sick and they would be healed? Yes, they did. And did God actually say all things are possible to him who believes? Yes, and amen. See, I think sometimes we have these conversations in our head that aren't from God. Conversation. Think of a recent conversation that you've had. It probably went something like this. How are you doing? Oh, I am exhausted. Why are you exhausted? Oh, I'm just so busy. (laughs) Busyness, that's our second barrier Right there, our second barrier to our persistent pursuit of knowing God is busyness. Have you just noticed how busy we've all gotten? Now, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend, new family, I know how busy you are with your kiddo, or businessman, how busy you are trying to just keep your business running. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that, you know, the parent of four kids and, and understand that busyness. All I'm saying is, I've just noticed how busy we've all gotten, and we're all just trying to keep our head above water and soccer games, and jiu-jitsu, and cheerleading, and, and meeting after meeting, and commitment after commitment, and then we got to get homework, and we haven't even made dinner, and the Wi-Fi is not working, and who reset the Wi-Fi password? <laughs> <sighs> Yet, if I asked, if I stood up here and I said to you, what's the biggest thing getting in the way of your spiritual life? I don't think you'd say busyness. <laughs> but Corey Boom, Ten Boom once said, If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Because you see, in sin and busyness, we have the exact same results. We lose our connection to God and we lose our connection to each other. Whew, connection. My wife and I, we have a lovely way to connect. We like to get on our bikes. And we like to ride our bikes. And we have this wonderful routine. We get onto the Coeur d'Alene Trail. We get on our bikes. We get our heads down. We ride all the way to Liberty Lake, and we ride back so we can get back to our busy lives. And it takes us exactly 43 minutes. <laughs> and one day last summer, I think she said to me, what if we took our time today? <laughs> Whoa, okay. <laughs> get behind her, Satan. <laughs> but we did we decided to take our time and we rode and we looked at God's creation and we even looked at the Spokane River as we crossed into Washington and we got back and it took us 45 minutes my friends it was two minutes longer and I'm asking do you have two minutes to connect with someone to connect with our father do you have two minutes to get into the word of God and connect with him You know, in John Mark Comer's book, the reluth relu try this again, the relu- the, Ru- <laughs> the ruthless elimination of hurry, amen. He states if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Look at our verse today, John 14, 6a. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And in this passage, we always emphasize the truth. And we have to, and we want to do that. But we cannot neglect the life and the way. And the way is the lifestyle. See, when I was 39, I decided I wanted to compete in my first triathlon, okay? And I was like, if I want to do that, I'm going to have to adopt that lifestyle. And so I started to research because I'm a researcher. And I began to research. I found out I'm going to have to learn to bike and swim and run. And I'm going to have to do those every day. And sometimes I'm going to have to do two or three of them a day. And then I found out that I'm going to have to eat a lot more food, which was awesome. Because you burn a lot of calories when you're training. And so I got to start eating four or 5,000. And when I turned 40, I competed in my first triathlon. I adopted the lifestyle what is it like what is it like for us to adopt the lifestyle of Christ if we want to experience the life of Jesus connectedness to God being all about our father's business persistent pursuit of knowing God we have to adopt his lifestyle Because Jesus is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life, and lifestyle means we know him, and we know the Father. But instead, we get busy. See, busyness is a form of laziness. Oh, Jason, Did you, how dare you? I go and I go and I commit and I commit and I'm going all the time and you call me lazy? Actually, I'm referring to myself. You see, I'm a to-do list guy. I'm a big to-do list guy, and you can ask my wife, I actually have an Excel spreadsheet that tracks my to-do lists, and I actually have a to-do list for my to-do list, and some of you are like, oh, I love this guy, and some of you are like, what's wrong with this guy? Don't worry, like I said before, my wife has the same reaction. Don't turn God into a task on your to-do list. See, sometimes I allow these to-do lists to get in the way of the things that actually matter, the things that actually are going to be helpful and beneficial to my life and my friends. That's lazy. And it's called procrastination, which leads us to our third barrier in our way to persistently pursue God. Procrastination is... Here's the definition, is the act of delaying or putting off tasks until the last minute or past their deadline. (laughs) Now, one of the biggest factors that contributes to procrastination is this idea that we have to be motivated, that we have to feel like doing it before we actually get to that task. And the reality is that if you wait for that feeling and that feeling doesn't come, you never get to that task. Maybe, maybe we are not supposed to wait until we feel like it to get into the Word of God. See, I have this belief that procrastination is simply a result of misplaced priorities. See, one of my very favorite books in the Bible right now is Haggai. God just continues to reveal so much to me when I spend time in Haggai. And now, in case you know, Haggai is considered one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. But I'm going to tell you, God wants to reveal stuff to us, anything but minor. Here's a brief intro for the book. Haggai ministered among the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem after some 70 years of exile in Babylon. The Persian ruler, Cyrus the Great, captured Babylon in 539 BC. In 538 BC, he permitted the Jews to return to Jerusalem so that they might rebuild the temple. That's in Ezra 1 and 2. The work of rebuilding stalled, however, when opposition arose. That's in Ezra 4. Haggai prophesied in an effort to motivate the people to renew their work on the temple restoration. Now, I'm going to be reading out of Haggai chapter 1, and some of the names in this chapter are unique in their pronunciation. But not to worry, words matter to Seth, so he'll correct me later. Here we go. In the second year of Darius the king... In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judea, Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord." Chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Who uplifting? <laughs> Procrastination, a result of misplaced priorities. Notice what God says in verse 2, these people. These people is distance. They're distance from God. When we put our priorities in the wrong order, we are distancing ourself from the Father with misplaced priorities. Now look, look at the conviction in the message that we start to hear in verse 5. Consider your ways. God is asking us to persistently pursue Him. He's asking us to consider our priorities, to set our hearts on Him and on His ways. And He's asking us to stop busying ourselves with the wrong things, with our own house. Instead, He's asking us to do the hard work and to build and to build the house of the Lord. Lord and to build God's way, because the truth is that misplaced priorities always lead to an unsatisfactory lifestyle. And if we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. What it says in our verse today, John said, Jesus said in John 14:2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would have I told you that I go to prepare a place for you? My friends, if Jesus is preparing a place for us in the house of our Father, then isn't it the right response for us to build a house for the Holy Spirit? You see, Haggai is about building the physical temple. And the glory that comes with it. Now each of us are that temple. And we get to build and we get to open up every room of our heart for the Father. And we get to prepare a place as he is preparing a place for us. And God is asking us to consider our ways. But he's not asking us to do it on our own. If we were going to continue reading in Haggai, we would find that the spirit of the Lord came upon Zerubbabel and came upon Joshua and came upon the remnant people. Not these people anymore. They changed their ways. They began to build. They began to obey God. And now they are the remnant people. And the Father, when we align ourselves with the Father, He will fill us over and over with the Spirit of God. And He will give us strength and energy. And He will renew us in Jesus' name. And then we can rest. Who rests? That's a tough one for us, (laughs) because the go, and the go, and the go, and the saying yes to all the things, and I just got to do one more thing before I get home, and then that one more thing turns into another, and it turns into another, and then we lay down at night, and we're like, oh, finally I get to rest, and we can't fall asleep, or you wake up at 3 a.m., and you're like, what was Jason saying about rest, And the truth is, is that our inability to rest is our fourth barrier that's drastically impacting our ability to pursue our Father. Personally, I struggle with this one every day. I actually love to work. (laughs) When I was 11 years old, I got my first job. It was a paper route. And then I got two paper routes, and then pretty soon I had three paper routes. And I found out very quickly that I was really good at work. And then it was this pattern in my life. In fact, I look back on my life and I don't see any time where I didn't have at least two or three jobs. That was the theme that I had. And so then I said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And I said, that's for everybody else, not for me. And then my relationship began to suffer. And I stated earlier, if you want to be in right relationship with God... And if you're not, then you're not going to be in right relationship with anybody else. And I was spending so much time working and focused on work that I neglected my relationship with God and my relationship with Him suffered and my relationship with everyone around me suffered too. And then I heard God say, it was time for a change. It was time for me to learn to rest. It was time for me to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And I'm not very good at it yet. (laughs) You see, there are times where I'm resting on the Sabbath, and I can see how many tasks I can get done on my to-do list that have nothing to do with work, so I'm resting. And then rest starts with truth. See, when we're not in alignment with God... We're not at peace, and it makes it really hard to rest. And then I hear God remind me, Jason, consider your ways. And He can fix me to stop and to rest and to get into His Word. And not because I got a kids' men this weekend, and not because I got a prep for a sermon, and not because I wanted to make pastor, but He wants me to be in His Word so that He can show me the relationship and that I'm loved and that I'm chosen. And that He created me. God created everything. And on the seventh day, He rested. Nope, not because He was exhausted. His strength is infinite. See, in Genesis 2-3, we read, So God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. See, God created life, and then he built the Sabbath day into life. God wants it in our life. He wants it so we can look back and we can remember that he's our provider, that he's our strength, that he's our source, and we do that. When we rest in Him and we remember that all the work we do is only possible because of the work that He did first and the work that He's doing right now. See, my friends, life is a wilderness. And on our way to the promised land, it is full of trials and tribulations And it's through these trials and through these tribulations on the way to the promised land that we learn to believe in God. That we learn to put our trust in the Father. And if we don't learn it, and we think we can do it all ourselves, we think we have the answers, we can do it all on our own, we don't learn to stop and rest. Yet, when we stop to rest... When we pull over and we rest in Him, you have to stop. You have to rest. You have to pull over. You need to rest because it might be one day a week. It might be every day. And to be honest, in most seasons of life, it's going to be multiple times a day. Resting in His Word. Rest is just sitting there with Him in silence in your secret place and just soaking in His presence because it's His presence that we want. Better said, it's the presence that we need. Resting in His refuge. Rest that completely restores and renews and strengthens. Rest that means persistently pursuing God and when we can do that we get to see that very last part of John fourteen seven b from now on you do know him and you've seen him you see God didn't promise life without trouble he promised that we could have an untroubled heart in a troubled life We're right back to where we started, my friends, in John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. And it comes through the resting with the source of all strength. See, instead of giving in to our troubled heart, Jesus told the disciples to firmly put the trust in God and in Jesus Himself, a promise that doing so would bring comfort and peace to our troubled hearts. And when we neglect our rest with the Father, we are abandoning abandoning that comfort and peace that He wants to give to each of us.